G'day, it's Phil here. We're up to the third part of our four-part special series with the erudite, thoughtful, reflective and knowledgeable Dr. Lawrence Wainwright from Oxford University via Scandinavia, North America and Australia. He's an academic who's truly continental in his approach. And today we're going to talk about strategic leadership. We're going to talk about organisations. We're going to talk about directions. We're going to talk about taking the big step forward and up. I'm very excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Before I start my conversation with today's Game Changers special series guest, Adriano, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 11 sponsor? Thanks, Phil. Of course. We are proud to be partnered with the School for Tomorrow and Alex Bell at Portland Education in delivering a dynamic coaching-based leadership program called Lead Now. Lead Now provides the opportunity for emerging and established middle leaders to further build towards their full potential, contributing to the ongoing high performance of the school community they serve. Head to a schoolfortomorrow.com forward slash coaching. Let's go. Hello, Lawrence. Hello. Um, really excited for this one and building on um, you know, the conversations that we've started um, with personal leadership and tactical leadership. And I think, you know, I don't have a favorite of the four sessions, but in some ways for me, this probably, well, I will say that this is probably the favorite one for me because we're talking about, we're talking about the big picture. We're talking about the interplay between, between people and plan and, and how that manifests. And um, yeah, let's, uh, let's get into it. Absolutely. So last time when we spoke and you were talking about tactical leadership and, and we were getting towards the end of the conversation and what you were doing is you were laying out the two dimensions of tactical leadership which are about getting from point A to point B and dividing things into stages along the way and that notion of the mission being the end point, but it's not everything and, and you've got to choose your approaches along there and make a series of decisions and use your manoeuvres and, and, uh, and approaches to get there. With the strategic leadership, of course, it's, it's leadership in three dimensions all at the same time. Lawrence, I'm going to jump in in a moment and, and cover our provocation, which sort of explores the parts, if you like, of strategic leadership. But if we say that strategic leadership is about the leadership of an organisation and that you still retain your personal and your tactical, but you're now in three dimensions and you're looking at a much more complicated and complex situation and usually with longer timeframes as well too and more resources and more people and just more scale and volume, do you think it's best to exercise strategic leadership from the centre or from out in front? What a, what a great question to start us off with. A bit of a perhaps boring answer, but I'm going to say it depends. We're marching along. Um, the leader needs to be able to, uh, at the right time, at the right place, transition between uh, between the middle, between the front, sometimes between the back, um, to understand what's going on at all levels, to make sure that the group that they are leading, the organisation that they are leading, the country that they are leading, understands um, the, the mission, the vision, um, why they are going, where they are going, um, the resources that are available to get there, um, the possible challenges that might come up along the way and contingencies and how we might respond to those. Keeping that big picture perspective, making sure that the team knows exactly what that is and and, um, and then seeing that interplay between the uh, between the tactical and the and the strategic and making sure that one understands um, that the two are the two are the two are inseparable. So my answer is is that there's perhaps not a right or wrong here, but I'm going to say it depends um, on the situation, and a leader must be able to transition between between the middle, between the front, and between the back. But I'm going to throw that one to you. I mean, maybe maybe you have a different perspective. Maybe you want to challenge what I've what I've just said. No, I'm going to add to what you just said because I, I, 
you know, I deliberately threw a false binary at you because, you know, the world is full of false binaries and where would Instagram and, and LinkedIn and, and Twitter be if we didn't put things up in opposition to each other that are actually complementary? I mean, you know, then we might end up with good education policy instead of <laughs> swinging from direct instruction to problem-based learning as though either is the answer. And anyway, I'll get off my hobby horse there. Um, uh, I, I think it's essential to be able to lead from different perspectives sometimes you've just got to be up the front don't you sometimes you've got to show the way uh, other times you need to coordinate more and you need to focus on network more other times you need to be at the rear and encouraging other people to take the lead i think it comes down to challenging routines norms things that get rusted on i think if you're always leading from the middle then you'll forget what the view at the front looks like um, if you're always leading from the front you, you forget to focus on what's happening from behind. If we think about it technically, quite often the leader who leads from the front is very focused on strategy, direction, vision. The leader who leads from the middle is much more, I think, interested in a competency piece and a networking piece and a connection piece and a coordination piece, quite often a control piece as well. Too. Right. Um, the leader who leads from behind is a well-being piece, a risk management piece, a uh, like where you stand is going to depend on what the need is right now, but it shouldn't necessarily be the place you stand tomorrow. You know, yeah. and I think, I think that's, that's the key. And of course, you know, you, you've nailed it more than adequately in, in, in your response. Let me put the provocation forward. So strategic leadership is about leading with both courage and hope in the real world. To do that, we need to draw on leadership that is personally humble, institutionally ambitious, and grounded in a realistic appraisal of the ever-present gap between what we might want and what we can have, at least in the short term. We need to think about how we might balance the apparently competing demands on our leadership to meet the strategic challenges of our organisation without resorting to either magical or cynical thinking. And I'm really hoping we come back to talk about magical and cynical thinking. Um, we need to make astute choices as to how we invest our time by focusing on those things that will make the greatest difference in the long run. We need to be aware that how we show the way forward will determine how successful we can be in investing our own personal commitment and effort and multiplying its return through the collective investment and support of the community. We need to think about identifying and demonstrating the values and value propositions that this entails, how we do what is good and right in both esoteric and tangible ways. We need to think about how we bring benefit. Gee, this is long, isn't it? I, I could, I could, this could, this could be a two-part series. As such, our, you know, we need to think about how we bring benefit to the lives of those whom our organisation serves. And as such, our aim needs to be both to create a vision for the destination at the end of our journeys and also to help the organisation to see that it can be done. We need to align, plan, implement and evaluate what we will do. We need to create an understanding of the value of strategy and culture working hand in hand. No such thing as strategy, culture eating strategy for breakfast. Peter Drucker probably never said that to start with. And the reality is that if he did, he was talking about bad culture, eating weak strategy for breakfast. So just bear that in mind, listeners. Again, beware of what you read on Instagram. We need to paint a picture of success in the trajectory of yesterday, today and tomorrow. We need to show how this will develop most likely slowly and iteratively with occasional big steps forward and up to ensure the greatest positive impact on commitment, intention, design and results. We need to ascertain what evidence we can draw on that the story is unfolding well 
especially when predictably unexpected difficulties emerge without lying, when time and resources are tight, and when the pressures on people to transform and perform are great. I need to take a break, amigo. Jump <laughs> in and lead on with something that grabs your fancy out of all of that guff. Wow, that was that was so uh, that was genuinely inspiring and compelling. And uh, as I said in the previous podcast, um, listeners, don't be afraid just to sort of go back a couple of minutes in the in the recording and have a listen to that because that was pretty pretty powerful stuff. You know, I, I'm going to sort of give a sort of a sort of a little proposition of my own that fits within everything that you've just said. This proposition is more about plan than people, but I think it's sort of complementary to what you've um, to what you've said. I think strategic leadership, um, a plan in strategic leadership is about the leader asking these questions of themselves and of, of the team, of the organization. What is the objective? Why do we need to go there? What are the means or resources available? Do the means enable the way, the strategy? As circumstances alter along the way and things will alter, things will go wrong, is there a better way? Contingency, how are we going to manage things that happen along the road? Most importantly, how do we influence and inspire with courage and empathy people to, uh, to follow us on this, um, on this journey, on this mission? You know, I think the culture thing is, is so important and strategic leadership cannot happen without solid foundations of, of culture. The journey is long and tough and, um, you know, it'll fall apart pretty fast if the culture is not established beforehand. You know, the, uh, the pair of shoes, you know, is, is going to uh, develop holes very, very quickly unless there's a sturdy foundation beneath them. And that sturdy foundation comes from uh, deliberate, intentional efforts to build a, a meaningful uh, culture. Um, I love the word that you used before around, um, around, around courage, a, a, courageous, um, a courageous culture, an open culture, a, a truthful culture one that is going to enable um, the, plan to, uh, the plan to manifest. And again, without that culture, it's simply not going to be, going to be possible. So those are a couple of sort of opening rambling um, thoughts from, from me around, around two aspects of that, around the plan itself and around, around the culture that's needed to, uh, to manifest that. Thank you, Lawrence. Let's pick up on that notion of the plan because we've, yep. we've spent a lot of time in the first two parts of this conversation, this four-part conversation on the character of leadership and looking at these four dimensions, the personal, the tactical, the strategic, and next time, the global. We've spent a lot of time talking about people. Let's talk about the plan now. Um, tell us sure. what you think a plan is. Tell us what role it plays. Tell us, uh, in your experience, uh, how it operates. Well, I mean, there has to be, there has to be a mission. There has, to be, there has to be a vision. There has to be a destination. You know, the boat without a rudder or sails is, is drifting around in the ocean with no with no direction, it's at the mercy of, of, of the winds. There needs to be a, there needs to be someone at the helm steering um, steering a, a direction. And again, these are very very big questions to uh, to ask. And a skilled strategic leader is going to have the insight, uh, the foresight, the um, the courage to be able to um, conceptualize a viable, realistic um, future. That is going to work for um, for themselves, for for their organisation, um, and for the for the purpose, the mission that they're carrying out, and and figure out um, you know who, how they're going to get there, um, you know, and most importantly, again, how are they going to uh, to what's the story, what's the narrative that they're going to 
give people to inspire them to follow them along that along that journey. So you know, yes, obviously we're talking about the plan now, uh, moving away a bit from people, but I think the obviously the two are the two are completely inseparable from one another, and that that last element of the um, you know sort of who are we, where are we going, um, why do we need to get there, what's going to go wrong along the way, and how are we going to deal with it? What are the resources that are available? And that last piece. How are we going to inspire people along this along this journey, along this along this long long road? And it is a it is a long road, and good strategic leaders um, see that interplay between the short term, the medium term, and the long term. They keep their eyes on the mission, um, but they also understand the role that, that tactical leadership um, plays plays in the in the in the middle there. So those those are a couple of a couple of thoughts from from me. But what's what's your take on it? Oh, I really like the, the analogies um, that you're using there about about the notion of a rudder. Because it, it talks to direction, doesn't it? I think, um, yeah. and we've 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 identified in advance that you know, key to the notion of strategy is direction. I think one of the things that's really important about a plan is that you actually write it down. Yep. <laughs> but the number of plans that exist in people's heads, it's not a plan in your head. It's not real no. until it's written down. And it's not real until what is written down is confirmed in the understanding and in the actions and in the outcomes of the people who are realising the plan. That's when you know it's real. Yes. I think the second thing I would observe is that experienced leaders understand that you spend a lot of time writing plans and alternative plans and contingency plans and plan A, B, C, D, E and F, and most of them never get used. Right. And I think weak strategic leaders form a plan they haven't done their homework on all the other bits and pieces. And then they engage in that magical thinking that when everything is going wrong, well, we'll just stick to the plan when it's not working. Yes. And they haven't done the work. They haven't done the homework in advance around that. Um, I know you were keen to talk about some some of the scholarship around the leadership piece. And you mentioned Jeff Pfeffer last time yep. we spoke on yep. the tactical leadership and the tactical BS sort of stuff. He's great on the magical thinking stuff, isn't he? He's, he's yes. absolutely fantastic on the idea of why do we do stuff that doesn't work? You know, we just yeah. we talk ourselves into things. Who are some of the, what's some of the other scholarship that's really, that's really intriguing you and informing you at the moment that, that might help us think about developing a plan and making it happen? Yeah, so re- really good question. Um, before I answer, just to circle back to a couple of things that you've said, um, Absolutely. I mean, it's it's pretty basic, but plans have to be written down. They have to manifest. If the plan is in the leader's um, the leader's head, you know, even verbally, even uh, formulating it verbally is often not enough. People forget things pretty quickly. The plan needs to be um, to be written down. It needs to be clear. People need to know what it is. Secondly, as you say, I mean, there have to be alternatives. Scenario planning, um, wargaming, I think, is a is a is a process that um, the top organisations take place. Red teaming. Um, Red teaming. I had a client talk to me the other day about red teaming. That's the latest phrase for it. And he's saying, have you done red teaming before? I'm going, what, red teaming? And I'm trying to, <laughs> and I'm Googling it as, as we're talking to each other because we're talking on Zoom. And it's just scenario planning, you know? So it's, yes, yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. So now I can sort of start to bring in some of the literature. So um, Rafael Ramirez, Professor Rafael Ramirez um, here in the, uh, in the business school at Oxford, um, he's a renowned um, uh, global expert on on strategy and also on on scenario um, planning. And I've been lucky enough to to sit in on his um, his Oxford scenarios planning um, course. And one of the first things I'll say about about strategic leadership is that there are assumptions that we make about ourselves, about 
our groups that we lead about organizations that we build our strategic plan on. Now, those assumptions um, change those underlying assumptions, those truths about what we are and what has gone on in the past and what might go on in the future. We need to often go back and look at seeing if those assumptions are still valid. Are there things that have changed that we are making decisions on, that we are formulating our strategic direction on that no longer, um, that no longer exist? And Professor Ramirez's work has concluded that poor quality strategic leadership, poor quality scenario planning or lack thereof is built often on a set of assumptions that are no longer valid. So a key step to uh, developing a, a suite of strategic plans that are going to actually work is engaging in frequent conversations, having strategy away days, having genuine, robust, honest conversation about who we are, what has gone on, what are those things that underlie everything that we, um, that we do. So that's the, that's the first thing I'll say, the first sort of interesting um, thing that might be, might be useful to, uh, um, to, your, to your listeners. So, um, okay, so um, the management and organization literature is absolutely uh, fascinating and sort of inseparable to that is the literature and the evidence around, um, around strategy. And there's a lot of really cool things um, that that I can that I can tell you, but in the interest of time, I'll just uh, I'll just tell you tell you a couple. So we know that strategic leadership, as obvious as it sounds, um, needs to have a a, a mission and a, a vision. And you know, it's it's amazing how often um, organisations don't have a a clear um, mission, vision, purpose. As to uh, as to who they are and where they are where they are going, and again that sort of metaphor of drifting around in the ocean without without a without a rudder. Lawrence, I really like what you're talking about about the importance of um, mission and vision. One of the things I, I find in organisations that we work with, and particularly schools, is the lack of knowledge about the difference between a strategy and a strategic plan. So lots of people will have a strategic plan, which is essentially will be a list of things that will be done in operational areas that are grouped under a motherhood statement around we're going to be a wonderful school. And there's no strategy because essentially a mission and a vision are about a way to get somewhere which implies change. It implies transformation. It implies at the very least we will not be in the same place tomorrow as we are today. We're not staying on today. It is a story of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So strategy implies a decision to head in a particular direction that necessitates change and ideally transformation rather than transactional change. So in other words, it's a process of becoming for an organisation. And to do that, we must not only make a decision about the direction that we will go in, we make it, we've got to make a decision about the direction we will not go in. And there's an analogy that we've been using in our work with schools quite frequently of late, which is about the sandpit. So in other words, a, a, a vision describes the sandpit and the sandpit's got boundaries to it. And then you're going to choose what toys go into the sandpit. That choice about what toys are going to go into the sandpit has got to be informed by what you want the sandpit to be and what, what you want to take place. So strategy is choice of what goes in the sandpit, but it's also a choice of what you're not going to do and what you're not yes. going to be. And I think this is a thing that a lot of folk will find very difficult and challenging 
is to make that decision that says, no, we're not doing that. We're going to do this. You know, and there's any number of corporate examples, um, you know, that you can that you can choose from. The one people typically will choose is Kodak, of course, where where people get so immune to transformation because there's no real strategy going on because you're just reinventing the box brownie again and again and again without realizing that something else is around the corner or that the possibility of something else is around the corner. So you're never really thinking about what the sandpit could be and what's going to go in there and what's not going to go in there. Or as suggested last time, you know, what do we actually need a sandpit? Is there any point to us doing this? You know, or do we pack up our kit and go down the road and build a sandpit there? What do we build a swimming pool instead? Because we should be doing swimming pools these days instead of sandpits. All of those sorts of questions. One of the things I really loved right at the beginning of this conversation was when you were asking those incredibly powerful questions about who are we, where should we be, where should we be going, and so on and so on. When I did my early leadership training, they gave us lists of questions and they, they actually tested us on whether we could remember the 25, 30, 35 questions that needed to be asked in the right sequence to help us formulate a plan to get from A to B. Such things aren't very fashionable these days. And uh, if you're not careful, you're likely to find that your list of questions to ask was generated by somebody on the internet um, for Instagram. I'm picking on Instagram a lot, aren't I, in, this, in these conversations? <laughs> but but it's it's true, isn't it? You know, it's, and, and we see a lot of power when something is beautifully, you know, there's a beautiful image and there's photography and a famous name next to it and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not a bad idea to have a rubric of questions to which you refer and a sequence I mean, of I, questions to, to, to which you refer to help you think through things in a structured fashion. You can deviate from that list of questions, but my goodness, is it helpful to have it sitting there in front of you, even when you're an experienced leader, because when you're an experienced leader and you're tending to automate your processes of critical thinking and appraisal um, you know, the appreciation of the situation and development of alternatives and then choosing the best one and then working out the plan and all of those things. The slide from conscious competence to unconscious competence to unconscious incompetence doesn't take very long, does it? Not, not, not at all. I mean, um, you know, some incredibly profound things that, that you've said um, that, that you've said there. Um, love the sandpit analogy. Um, the Kodak one's interesting because that, that's an example of Rafael Ramirez's um, uh, points that, the assumptions that they had about themselves, about the future of, um, about the current and future state of uh, photography and film um, had changed and they hadn't realised that. Their plan for the future was no longer valid, but they, they realised that too late. Um, the same can be said for Nokia um, and any, any number of organisations. So I think that's a, that's a really, really good, good case of, a, of, of, of why it's important to challenge those, to identify and challenge those assumptions about yourself and about your organisation that, that do that do change to the to the sort of the plan. I mean, I think you know, we you know, in the academic literature on on leadership, on strategy, on organisation and management, there is consensus that that list is the bread and butter, and it hasn't changed very much. Um, as you say, you know, it's fashionable leadership to go with the latest um, the latest trend, the latest fad, and everyone's doing this and that, and you know, it's the cool thing at the moment, and everyone's talking about it, this latest buzzword. But you know, the, the old fashion stuff that actually works and has evidence behind it. It might not be as flashy. It might not be as as cool, but it but it works. It, it damn well works, and we know that. And again, those those really five or six central questions, um, you know, having those up on the board, and as you say, you know, in various stages of one's 
career and, and experience with leadership, it can be tempting to sort of shy away from, from that and think, well, you know, I, I don't need that anymore. I'm, I'm past all that. And that's sort of, you know, that's entry-level stuff. And in some cases, leaders can get away with it. But I think it's, 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 it's essential just to sort of to, to go back to those, um, to those, to those big, big questions. So absolutely, absolutely. Lawrence, we're coming to the end of this particular uh, conversation around strategic leadership. I want to talk about resource, if I can, because again, you know, we, we, we haven't talked very much about this earlier. And in the provocation, we talked about almost like a matching process of the investment of a leader's personal um, commitment and effort, and it being multiplied in return through the collective investment and support of the community. Now, I think a plan is one of the ways that we can get a community to match and multiply. You know, if a leader without a plan very rarely is going to get that real commitment and a leader without a well-costed plan, forget it. You know, yep. it's, you know, it's, 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 it's just snake oil um, at that point. You know, so, you know, in, earlier in our conversations, we were talking about the importance of the model. I think so. Yep. a leader as a role model is really, really important. The plan is the scaffold that gets them there. What else do you think is going to help create that sort of recipient reciprocity in investment within an organization that yes we've got a mission yes we've got a vision and it's worth us getting there it's worth us going through all the pain of transformation it's worth us challenging assumptions it's worth us making decisions that we won't put certain things in our sandpit yeah well it's a it's a really great question and you know on the resource side of things i mean you know, in, in in life, in in work, in organisations, um, we have limited resources um, to do an almost infinite number of things, and decisions have to be um, have to be taken. Tough decisions. Um, we need to allocate time. We need to allocate effort. We need to uh, look at our financial resources and and figure out um, those how those um, you know play a part in, in manifesting our goal. And you know, it's boring sometimes to talk about accounting and finance, but you know, those things matter and a plan can be absolutely spectacular and, and grandiose and so on, but it's going to fall on its face if resource allocation has not been, has not been, um, has not been thought through properly. I mean, uh, I think during the pandemic, um, for the first time, a lot of the worlds um, were sort of introduced to this idea that healthcare systems around the world have limited resources and they have almost infinite things to do with um uh, infinite goals, huge goals, and they have to make trade-offs. They have to make decisions. What drugs are going to be included and not included in the pharmaceutical benefit scheme in Australia? Um, how do we maximise sort of quality life years and people? And trade-offs have to be made. Tough decisions have to be made around 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 resources. In terms of the um, you know your your second question, I mean, I think synergy. You know, the the efforts of one person can be multiplied and amplified. In a, in a positive environment, the music playing from the phone in the bathroom sounds a lot louder because it's being echoed and amplified by, by the environments and a positive, uh, genuine culture is going to amplify, amplify impacts. There are sensitive intervention points um, in strategic leadership, small tweaks, um, kicks, little things that can be, little decisions that can be made that can offer disproportionately good return on investment. So my colleagues here at the University of Oxford, um, Cameron Hepburn, Matt Ives, and many others um, coined this term in 2019 of sensitive intervention points. We look at complex um, systems. We know that there are positive 
feedback loops, things that amplify amplify results, amplify impact, amplify what's going on. And I think a effective um, leader who is able to see that interplay between the strategic and the tactical is able to look at what are going to be those things, what are, even what are going to be those uses of resources that are going to offer a disproportionately good return on investment that are going to enable us to, uh, to, to achieve our goal, to achieve our, our mission. And at the same time, not indulge in magical thinking. Precisely. You know, you know I think one of, the thing, one of the things that I'm pretty rigid with folks that we work with is to say there is no more time and there is no more money. You simply must yep. make that assumption on all occasions. Yes, you might find time. And yes, there may be more money, but that's just windfall. You know, that's, that's, that's just a, that's the, the, the dropping of manna from heaven in an unexpected moment. The reality is... You have to work with what you've got and you have to work with who you've got as well too, by and large. Yes. It may be possible over time to uh, renew a workforce, but the sort of era of, of slashing workforces, you know, if you want to get anything done on a long-term basis, you know, you, you've, got, you've got to work with the people that you've got. We see plenty of examples right now of really tricksy employment um, processes and schemes and independent contractors and subcontracting and all of this sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, if you want people to walk up the hill with you, you better back them in, in, in return. And that means that you've got to be prepared um, to invest in them as well. We're starting to get onto the ground of sustainability now. So maybe we might hold that for our next conversation, um, sure. which is about the global dimension. Again, Lawrence, I've really, really enjoyed this third conversation in this special series about the character of leadership and the dimensions uh, in which it's practised. I'm really looking forward to one final turnaround the park with you. Likewise, it's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you very much to our listeners. And we're really excited to, uh, to have you with us uh, next week. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.